Hey there, are you sick and tired of feeling sick and tired? Join Adol Kozilski and Fagy Stern as they explore ways to reverse chronic illness and achieve vibrant health. Your health is your only wealth and together we can be better. Hashtag Healthy You, Wealthy You. Good morning, good morning from a rather dull Johannesburg. We're going to be expecting a lot of rain today and hopefully it will clear up for the long weekend. I'm excited to be back with you. My name is Adel Kozilski and together with my good friend, Faggy Stern. Good morning, Faggy. Good morning, Adel. Welcome to winter. <laughs> well, yeah, it did feel like winter this morning, eh? Yeah, absolutely. I think every time the Purim comes, we're uh, hit with either rain or cold. Yeah, and then you go and buy you go buy clothes for 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 Pesach, and you're all excited to wear your winter clothes and become scorching. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Prepare yourself. <laughs> all right, we're going to be continuing our discussion about um, babies and young children with the one and only Dr. Castle, and today we are going to be talking about the child's brain. I have to share with everybody a little anecdotal uh, story about children's brains. I carry very, very small kids. I like used to keep, they used to come out in just like the two kilos. They used to be like little, little mongrels, very, very small. And my fourth child came out, he was a whopping 3.2 and I became completely obsessed about his brain. For me, his head was way too big. I drove the, uh, the pediatricians crazy until they had to do an MRI to go prove to me that my child is in proportion and there is nothing wrong. <laughs> you know, Jewish mothers. <laughs> hey, it'll try 4.3 kilos or 4.1 kilos. What happens to that kind uh, of thing? I, I don't know what I would have done then. was <laughs> 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 whopping for me. What did I get to say? Is something wrong with his head? There's something wrong yeah. with his head. <laughs> um, Amazing. Truth be said, Genetically, I found out actually that two of my kids have genetically big heads. But um, being said, we're not going to talk about the size of your kid's uh, physical brain, but we are going to be talking all It's about the quality, not the quantity, Edel. Exactly. We're going to be talking about the quality of the brain. We're going to be talking about epilepsy. We're going to be talking about all sorts of seizures. And we're going to be talking with the one and only Dr. Castle. We'd love you to join the conversation. 34519 is our SMS line. 061-895-1019 is our telegram number. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kozilski and Faye Stern. Without further ado, good morning, Dr. Castle. Good morning, Dr. Castle. Good morning, good morning. Morning, how are you all? We are all, thank God, very, very well, and we are super excited to continue our, uh, our series on early childhood rearing and today we're going to be discussing perhaps the most important organ for a Jewish mother and that's the brain. Well I hope it'll be of value to everybody. I hope it'll let them understand things a little better because I've chosen this subject of the development of the brain because this is still in my mind the most exciting field of pediatric medicine to the present day. Revolutionary changes have taken place over the last decade or two in the study and understanding of normal brain function. Whereas previously, mainly psychological factors were considered to play a major role in brain disorders. Today, with again Israel leading the world, exciting new neurobiological factors are coming to the fore. Hereditary factors which involve the chromosomes, 
the genes and their subsequent enzymes and hormones. These are playing an ever-increasing role in the understanding of the role these substances play in the development of the normal brain cell and obviously in the study of brain malfunction. I hope it's not too much jargon for you, but what we're really trying to say is that up until about 20 years ago, until they actually discovered chromosome 21 abnormality and mongolism, it was largely all brain disorders were attributed to psychological factors. Autism was contributed to that, schizophrenia, in the adults, Alzheimer's, manic depression, Today, the exciting field has opened up where they're actually finding the enzyme deficiencies, which are genetic, which cause these cells to malfunction and produce these conditions. So as usual, just a few facts first about the brain development. The brain starts living and developing from the moment the sperm meets the ovum, so that by the time the baby is born, more than half of the ultimate brain size of the brain is developed. By the end of two years of age, more than two thirds of the brain, adult brain size is developed. But even more importantly, is the fact that the cerebral cortex consists of several, seven well-defined areas in an adult. And six of these areas are already completely developed and laid down at birth. The seventh area, mainly myelination, coating of the nerve fibers, or maturation, if you like a better word, takes place maximally then in the first two years of life and continues. And this is a very interesting fact. In the female adult, 20-25 years of age when it is complete and in the male adult 30-35 years of age is complete. So the woman, the female, is always five or ten years ahead in maturation. A very always, always, even after 35. <laughs> a very interesting fact. And this is why in a lot of Jewish beliefs and Jewish families it's always said, your husband must always be older than you. From a brain development point of view, that's quite true. The last fact to remember about the brain is that the brain has little regenerative capacity. It can't regenerate. Unlike your skin, which if you cut your skin, new cells will form and the cut will heal. The brain can't heal like this. It doesn't regenerate. Other areas of brain take over and try to function for the damaged brain, but there is no regeneration. My presentation today will involve two main headings. The first heading is the psychological and environmental factors which determine and influence brain development. And the second factor, the second heading, is the biological or hereditary factors which influence brain development. These we have already mentioned now. And a very interesting uh, terminology has overtaken the world today. The bad germ is rapidly being replaced by the bad gene. 
as we understand more and more of hereditary disorders, particularly pertinent in our own community, we are realizing this every single day of our lives. There are more and more biochemical abnormalities being identified in the brain than, uh, than we can even imagine. In fact, I have two grandchildren studying overseas in Israel and in London, and both of them are doing their master's degrees in neuroscience, neuro in neurobiology, trying to discover the enzymes that are missing in the major brain disorders. I go on now to the factors influencing psychological, the psychological factors in utero in the first two years of life, my first heading. The intrauterine environment is of tremendous importance because the maximum formative phase of the brain is in the nine months in utero. And this continues at an accelerated pace during the first two years of life. It is then that the neuronal cell patterns and fibers are all laid down that will influence brain functioning for the rest of that individual's life. The key factors laid down are personality, emotion, memory, intellect, and behavior. All the conditions that we try to deal with, even to this day, by, you can use the expression, it's like closing the stable door after the horse has bolted. These factors, the factors governing these situations must be identified. And it's important to identify them at the start of the pregnancy. A multitude of studies, many studies, have shown that a loving, nurturing, caring environment from the time of conception to the end of the second year and beyond are vital to first the psychological well-being of the child. I know you're going to ask me two questions and I'll deal with them here before you start asking them. <laughs> because <laughs> many abnormalities can occur. But suffice us to say, I will answer the two questions of in vitro fertilization and adoption. Such things that are today are very common, very pertinent, and which today <coughs> uh, govern a lot of people's lives. First of all, with in vitro fertilization, there is no problem with this method of conception because it is always in a loving, caring, nurturing environment from the word go until the baby is delivered and for the two years afterwards and proceeding that. So it's something that is to be encouraged, not discouraged. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. We're talking to Dr. Kassel and we are speaking about the development of the brain. We've just understood that going through IVF doesn't affect any, uh, any, anything to do with the brain, that it is a, we could put an in inverted commas, a healthy way to fall pregnant if you're struggling, struggling to fall pregnant any other way. We were on the topic of adoption, Dr. Castle. Adoption is a very uh, debatable point. My own feeling is that if you undergo a careful screening of the background of the biological mother, 
that is vital in identifying potential issues of concern, particularly the hereditary factors and the health field. And the other most important fact about adoption is that the loving, caring, nurturing environment for the child should never be delayed. The adoption should be carried out as soon as uh, the baby is delivered as possible. If the baby lies around in an adoption home for three or six months after the birth, that is not favorable for the psychological development of the brain. The key factor is a psychological, nurturing, caring, loving environment. I can expand on this later in our discussion. I didn't want to raise it over here, but I can perhaps raise it quickly. A very important study was carried out at Stanford Hill, Stanford Hill University in California, the, the home of childhood psychology and psychiatry. This, this study involved studying five different groups of pregnancy. And please, I don't mean this to be, make anybody feel guilty about their pregnancies. I'm merely telling you what happens according to the study and each and all the processes are completely reversible. They're not cut and dried. The first group of pregnancies studied was the wanted, planned, conceived child. In other words, a couple are happily married, they've undergone the correct genetic counseling, they've planned the baby, they know when the woman is ovulating, and under those circumstances they conceive the baby. Group one. Group two is the desperately wanted but unplanned conceived child. A lot of your IVF babies fall into this category. Obviously a very, very good group. The third group, a group that a lot of us fall into. The at first, not planned, not really want, not, not really planned, but wanted, subsequently wanted at about six to 12 weeks of age. You know, the mother's first word when she falls pregnant with this group, oh, hell, I'm pregnant. Oh, hell, I'm pregnant can mean that she's already had three or four kids and here's the fifth one come along too soon. It may be a financial issue. It may be lots of issues. But at first, the pregnancy is not welcome. But within six to 12 weeks, it is, it is welcomed and there's no contraindications to this group. The fourth group is unfortunately not a very good group. This is the couple that comes along to you and says, Doctor, I've, I've accidentally fallen pregnant. We're, unhappily, uh, we're unhappy together. We're either going to get divorced or going to separate. Please arrange for the baby to be taken away. In other words, do an abortion or else give it out for adoption when it's born. And group five, of course, the least favorable group of all, the pregnancy that is rejected by the mother. Well, they discuss, they followed these people for the next five to 10 years and 15 to 20 years of their lives and saw what happened to them in group psychologically. 
in group one, the incidence of psychological abnormalities, and this also includes group two, major and minor, was less than 5%. In group five, it was over 90%. So here you face your biggest problems. And please don't get me wrong. The adoptive baby turns out to be one of the most nicest kids that you can ever imagine, provided it has a loving, caring, nurturing environment, and provided it's not rejected. It is very, very important, the psychological environment that you provide the baby with in the first nine months in utero and in the first ten to, uh, two years of its life. That is of vital importance. You think of how our abnormal societies have arisen, the so-called permissive society. Where did the permissive society come about? It came about after World War II, when children were born out of wedlock, husbands were fighting a war. Goodness knows what might happen now in Ukraine with the turmoil that is going on with babies that are born under these circumstances. The psychological effects will be major unless the world comes to its senses. So I digressed a moment over here to emphasize to you the importance of, you know what they put on the back of motor cars? Have you hugged your child today? Well, it's more than hugging your child. It's loving your child constantly and reassuring your child. And if I can get across no other message to you today, it is love your child all the time. Love it when you conceive it, love it in the nine months in utero, love it in the two years afterwards and go on loving it. You can never give it too much love. There is no such thing as a spoiled child. Incredible. Dr. I, Kassel, think, I, think, I think that's such an important message because, you know, I, I, the world has cycled through so many ways to deal with children. I mean, I, I think in the 60s and 70s, you know, it was Dr. Spock and the children should be should be um, heard, not seen. And, you know, I think today we've come to the realization how important it is to love your child, but love your child consciously and love your child for who they are, because probably one of the most important things is self-esteem and the psychological development of the child. Exactly. And this also explains to you how the Nobel Prize winner, which we have an example in South Africa, and I won't mention his name, everybody will know who it is, became the professor of physiology and the winner of the Nobel Prize in medicine, and grew up in very adverse circumstances in a poor home in Dornpentine, had very simple parents from Lithuania, and didn't have anything at all except love, care, and nurturing. That's how you produce the genius. Truthfully, though, there are so many circumstances that people go through in their lives. And I think with the new research out there about brain development is how much the brain can also change based on your, on your past and your history. Well, this is what we're coming to next. And this is where the exciting part comes in. Because we are facing so many brick walls that, we've, that have arisen for us where we're trying to tackle there's some interference. There you we're go. Start again. Tackle, we're trying to tackle conditions which are predominantly, we, we regard as being predominantly psychological, but they're not psychological at all. 
they're all determined by logical factors and we're just beginning just today to discover these biological factors. Experiments are being done in many laboratories in Israel, Barilan, the Weizmann Institute, the Sheba Center, where mice are being studied with various enzymes to see the alterations in their behavior. And they're studying conditions like autism, Alzheimer's, manic depression, schizophrenia, and finding the enzymatic defects. It's an exciting new field. So let's go on with it. The biological factors and understanding how these factors influence the development of normal brain cells, as I've said, has until the last decade or two been largely neglected. But all of a sudden, all over the world, exciting new possibilities are arising in showing how hereditary and therefore chromosomal, genetic, enzyme and hormonal defects can be absolutely vital in influencing the formation, the function and the integrity of normal brain cells. I want to leave a little time for questions because there'll be lots of questions and I want to just tell you a little fact about Alzheimer's, although it's strictly not my field but it'll make it very interesting for you. Again, the early recognition and anticipation of the problem is absolutely essential. At this stage, it should be stressed here, and I should have stressed it before, that the egg population of the woman's ovary is already determined at birth. The eggs probably never increase or decrease during that individual's reproductive life and therefore these eggs are subject not only to hereditary factors but also to all factors that occur during this individual's life. Mainly radiation, the taking of medicines, the taking of drugs and dare I mention it over here, the taking of vaccines and I won't answer any questions on that. And therefore these eggs are subject to all these factors the sperm, on the other hand, is manufactured freshly each time and is therefore unlikely to be an influential carrier of aging defects or environmental defects. A very important point to consider. So how do we in investigate the biological, the biological factors? The key word to remember here is the whole key word of my talk. You have to be proactive rather than retroactive. It is no good waiting until the baby doesn't sit at three months of age, only crawls at a year, only walks at two or three years, doesn't smile, doesn't hold its head up, and then wake up to the fact that there might be something wrong with it. No, in those cases it's too late, and a lot of these people are destined for Selwyn Siegel. The key word to remember, proactivity, not retroactivity. This starts off by taking an adequate family history and identifying the multitude of genetic defects that, now be, that may now be suspected or are arising. The classic example is Tay-Sachs disease. Today, Tay-Sachs is a dominant transmitter, transmission and one in every five Jews are carriers of Tay-Sachs. 
Fortunately, it has not arisen in any great proportion, but it is important to identify the carrier states in individuals. And adequate genetic counseling is necessary and uh, people have to be counseled as to what the risks are of certain types of pregnancy where these hereditary disorders are already known to exist. So that is very, very important. Second of second importance is to realize that the intrauterine environment is vital in identifying some of these biological defects. We do it by two main procedures. The one is a procedure called amniocentesis and the other is by serial screening of the baby in utero. With amniocentesis, amniocentesis, to explain it to you simply, is the insertion of a needle into the womb, drawing off some glycol, some fluid from the womb, and, and analyzing that fluid for your hereditary defects and chromosomal defects. And in this way, a lot of early severe defects are being detected, the classic one being Down syndrome or mongolism. But then, of course, what do we do about this when we detect it? This has caused tremendous controversy, and I will not enter this field either. Do we terminate the pregnancy? Do we carry on with it? What do we do? It's a very, very difficult question to answer. And probably the answer is to rely on Hashem and to rely, to rely on your rabbi. Because Hashem has given the woman a good way to know that things may not be all right. And again, I don't want to alarm you. But a man called Stallworthy, who is the pr principal gynecologist in the United Kingdom, said, the womb always gets rid of an unwanted fetus. In other words, if you've got bad genetic defects or bad abnormalities, that mother will go on threatening to abort all the time. The womb wants to expel it. And the mistake people are making today is to try to save an unwanted pregnancy. Never try to do that. You may end up with disaster. And just on the, the, the flip side, though, is that when one is put in the unfortunate situation of facing such difficulties, you know, to maybe get like more than one opinion, look at things, you know, I, I resonate a lot with trusting in Hashem. My fifth pregnancy, I was told that, you know, I was not carrying a normal child. Um, I had to indemnify the doctors and saying that I understand that and that I'm going to continue the pregnancy, albeit that they actually had clinical evidence. And guess what? When I gave birth, I gave birth to a normal child. So okay. that just leaves you know, an opening there that you, you've got to look for more than one opinion and really, really consider it and not just do things like black and white. You are absolutely 100% right. Too many times I've seen, oh, your screen, my dear, shows that you may have the classic folding features of Mongolism. You could have a Mongol. Your amniocentesis shows such a percentage of abnormal cells. It could be Down syndrome, it could be Mongolism, it may not be Mongolism. You must realize that the doctor is the least intelligent in this. 
This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. Just got in a message. Hi, everyone. Absolutely fascinating interview. Hi, Dr. Kassel. I'm loving this. Thank you, Karen. Indeed, it is. It's an absolutely fascinating discussion. We are talking about the first two years of a child's brain and what can and unfortunately cannot, that's things that go wrong. Dr. Kassel, again, just because of internet connectivity, we lost you a little bit. If you could go back about two sentences, just after my comments of, you know, looking if you are in the in, in the situation where you where you have to make such heart rendering decisions that you should actually investigate, like you know, and look at many many opinions before you come to a conclusion. And the important thing, Idol, is your own opinion. And one thing yes. you always learn in pediatrics is that the mother is always right. So listen to the mother. Take as many yeah, opinions yeah, as you like, but listen to the mother. So we go on with the intrauterine environment, the serial scanning, the development of the identification of defects. But the most important investigations of all occur with the birth of the baby. There every day more and more enzyme and hormonal tests are being developed. Today it is routine to do a thyroid PCR at birth to identify thyroid hormone deficiency. Because if the thyroid hormone is absent or deficient and the defect is identified at birth, the brain development will be perfectly normal. If not identified, the brain will undergo irreversible damage as a result of thyroid hormone deficiency. And yes, it is important also to do a metabolic screen at birth. For a couple of thousand extra rand, it is important to know the enzymes that may be deficient because a lot of these enzymes are enzymes which break down products in normal baby food and if you read the sunday times on sunday and i don't want to be sued by the baby food industries either but they were warning about certain things in baby foods that might be detrimental to the baby maybe we can do this in another program but be careful to identify the enzymes which are responsible for breaking down normal products in baby food. Because if these products are not broken down and they retain themselves as toxic products, they will go into the brain cells and destroy the brain cells. And gradually, as you go on feeding the baby with this food, you will totally destroy its brain. This I've seen happen all too many times in my career. So yes, identify the enzymatic defects. Dr. Kaza, would that be specifically bought baby food, like shelf products? It, It can be any baby product because, you know, the normal baby product obviously has been tested and it's, it's, it's all right for a million babies. But in the million and one baby that hasn't got the enzyme to digest that particular normal product in a baby food and you haven't identified it, take phenylketonuria, for instance, phenylalanine. You end up with a phenylketonuric patient that you can go and have a look at at Selwyn Siegel that's totally mentally retarded because the cells have been destroyed by unbroken down phenylalanine. So in the case of a baby having an enzyme problem, what can be done for that? 
you can first of all modify the baby foods. There's a company in, in America that did this for us when we identified a specific problem. They, they took the offending particles out of the baby food and manufactured a special type of baby food for the baby. You can also stay away from things which are known to carry the common enzyme defects, provided you identify them. It's no good shutting your eyes and putting your head under the carpet and pretending not to see anything and just waiting. And this is my concluding paragraph, the developmental milestones of a baby. So yes, it is important. And those of you that know me know that when a baby is born and I examine the baby neonatally, I always put the baby on its feet and it walks and everybody's amazed because it does walk. But that just tells you that the brain is normal so far. It doesn't tell you what might happen to the brain. And likewise with the other development milestones, smiling, following at six to 12 weeks of age, sitting at three to six months, crawling six to nine months, walking 12 months to 18 months. These may be grossly retarded and greatly delayed. You may even see a baby at birth that doesn't even hold its head. The head flops back onto its back. But too often we close our eyes to these things or we wait for them to happen. When we wait for them to happen, it is already too late. Remember one thing from today, with brain disorders and brain development in children, be proactive rather than retroactive. Identify by taking an adequate history, counsel the parents before the, before the birth, even sometimes before marriage, it's wise for them to uh, have themselves assessed. And people are doing this today, trying to identify defects before they actually present themselves. Those are and the enzyme defects. Of course, Israel is doing all this research now. They're feeding the missing enzymes to mice and seeing a massive improvement in these mice as they swing around on their merry-go-rounds. It's an amazing study that is going on. And with that, I'll conclude, I think, because I think the problem with some of our talks is we don't allow enough time for questions, and I'm sure there will be quite a lot of questions. So I'll answer them gladly. So I think that we're going to have to have another show then on, you know, where what happens with children that uh, present with brain brain disorders such as epilepsy and all different types of seizures. But I would like to go back personally simply because I'm involved in the field of genetic testing. And I think that this is something that needs to be emphasized, you know, to, to the public. Um, and particularly, as you said, how important it is that when one is considering to have children, that one goes for pre-genetic testing and to go and double check, you know, that from a genetic point of view, there is there, there is health. And if there is a problem, all of us have genetic, we are genetic carriers of diseases and they don't really play too much of a part as long as we don't marry somebody who has the same disease as we do. And I think it's, 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 it's you know, it takes away a lot of a, a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety and hardship you know, when 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 you know your 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 genetic, you you what you're susceptible to. So as you said, you can be proactive. And please God, um, in this coming year, this year we are hoping to bring genetic screening to be very very affordable, 
to uh, the community and to have screening done um, for just literally, as you said, one or two thousand rand, and that allows one then, you know, to proceed um, and know that there's a fertile ground for children to grow healthily. Adel, correct me if I'm wrong. It seems that there are overseas um, tests that they're doing that we don't do here, genetic testing. Right. So, so there is. We South Africa is a little bit behind in the genetic um, uh, genetic testing sphere, but. That is one of the things that I'm involved with. I'm involved with a company called um, Future Gen Labs, and we're, we're bringing that to South Africa now in a very, very affordable way. And that, as Dr. Castle said, also when it comes to IVF, um, and one is obviously going to the doctors there because they're struggling to fall pregnant just before, pre -implant, uh, before implantation back again, once the, you know, there is fertilization, you can now very affordably have a test done on your embryos to see that they are genetically healthy. And it's it's helping so many people, particularly those mothers that are falling pregnant um, in their 30s and moving into the 40s, the incidence of genetic uh, disturbance, so to speak, grows unbelievably, goes up to about 90% by the time a woman is like in her very early 40s. And right. so we have these tools and we should be using them um, and that will help with, uh, you know, having, having healthily developed babies. You're so correct, Gadel. And as you're also correct in saying we're lagging a little bit behind, because in other parts of the world, again in Israel, things are different. It's, mm. it, it's so much more important for those people that are reticent about IVFs. There is no finer way to have a baby if you can't have a baby naturally than to have it in a properly formulated and screened IVF environment. You're examining the background, you're examining the eggs, you're examining the subsequent fertilization, you're doing everything correctly, and you're not landing the, the mother and father with a multitude of problems which they may have if they have genetic disorders. Remember, a lot of women who can't fall pregnant don't fall pregnant because, again, nature, Hashem, is protecting them from the pregnancy. The woman with multiple mm. genetic defects doesn't fall pregnant easily and doesn't retain that pregnancy easily. It's today with what we call our modern methods of preserving a pregnancy that we think we're doing good. We're not doing good. If a uterus wants to abort a pregnancy, don't stop it. It's, the, it's Hashem's way of getting rid, the uterus's way of getting rid of an unwanted pregnancy. Well, watch the space because, um, you know, genetic screening is coming to South Africa this year. Right now, we are already involved in testing for um, uh, people who are using the IVF method. We can genetically screen. Um, you can go find more. This is not a plug for my company, but just to know that it is around. You can contact me privately if you need anything further. Um, again, thank you, Dr. Castle. This has, has been absolutely fascinating, and it is always a pleasure to have you. Um, on, the, on the radio, um, imparting your incredible wisdom and your incredible knowledge. It's, it's, it really does. Um, knowledge is power. Like when one understands things, you know, a lot of anxiety goes away. So thank you again for your time. It's a great pleasure, Adel, and call a kabod for your work that you're doing. I have thank seen you, the thank laboratory you. and I'm very impressed with it. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, Fagy. Thank you, Adel. Thank and you uh, happy for and happy Erev Purim to all our uh, all, all, all the all the listeners 
um, you know, it's a time of simcha, it's a time of joy, it's a time to 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 show love, to show avat Israel to each and every one of us. And so enjoy the festivities and please God we'll be back next week talking about self-esteem. So until then, happy Purim and have a wonderful week ahead.